We hear in the Gospel of Luke that they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Come join us today on The Way with DJ. Well, good afternoon, everyone, on this Halloween day. Um, I am recording this on Halloween, and I am getting ready to release this tomorrow, which is the Solemnity of All Saints. So I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about today, about the three days, about Halloween, All Saints Day, and All Souls Day. And I think as kids, we all, you know, have a... Um, have a, a good memories, great memories for my sake, um, of Halloween Day. Um, growing up in the city, uh, we used to go and trick-or-treat multiple times a day, even if it was a weekday and a school day. So what we would do, since I lived only three blocks from the school, is I would go and I would trick-or-treat on the way home from school at lunchtime, because we came home for lunch, and then I'd trick-or-treat on the way back, and then as we were leaving school, we would trick-or-treat, stop at home, drop off our candy that we had hauled in from the day, and then basically go out from 3.30 all the way about till about 9 o'clock at night. The memories that I have of those times of going to many, many different houses, many, many different neighborhoods were really such a, such a wonderful part of my childhood. Now, as I got older... Um, when I was probably about 13 or 14 years old, you know, trick-or-treating kind of becomes kind of like a little kid thing to do. And so what I would do is I would basically stay at home and actually hand out candy. And I used to enjoy watching all the little kids with their costumes and the excitement of them coming up to the door and asking and, and getting some candy as they went their, as they went doing their trick-or-treating. So it was, a, it was kind of a, a good memory um, the thing that, though, that is kind of interesting about this whole scenario or this whole situation was that I certainly remember Halloween, um, October 31st, but then when we moved into November 1st and November 2nd, growing up as a kid, I really did not remember All Saints Day and All Souls Day. As a matter of fact, I don't even think as a family that we actually went to church on All Saints Day because it's always been a holy day of obligation in, as far as I can remember. And so not going to church um, kind of you know was something that I just really didn't even think of. Now, when I was in the high school seminary, obviously it was at that time that we did start treating All Saints Day as a holy day of obligation. So it wasn't until I was an adult um, that All Saints and All Souls were kind of really put and integrated into the mix of how important these days are. I was with um, our school children the other day, and we were talking about how these three days were kind of connected. And I said it kind of explained to them, and I'd like to explain to you um, why these days are, are, are connected to each other. So... Halloween um, basically is a day when we talk about the church uh, calendar. It is All Hallows' Eve. And 
the way I explained it to the kids and the way I'd like to explain to you today is that it's important to remember that the church's day, the, the calendar day, the liturgical day, actually begins on the evening of the previous day. So when we say that there is All Hallows Eve, we are basically saying that it is the Eve of the Hallows or the Eve of the Saints. The Hallows or the Hallows, if, however you'd like to pronounce it, the Hallows are the people that we revere, the people that we feel that are important. And for us as Catholics, those are the saints. Those are the canonized saints when it comes to the church. And so we move then in the morning to All Saints Day. And it is a holy day of obligation where we are, as Catholics, asked to attend Mass. It is an obligatory day where we remember those hallows, those people who were important in the life of the church, all the way from the beginning of the church's history all the way until the modern day. Now, then after the, uh, after the Hallows Day or after the All Saints Day, then we move into the All Souls Day. And All Souls, um, in my ministry now, has become probably more important or more, more meaningful because I do spend a, a vast majority of my time ministering to people who are grieving, ministering to people who are bereaved, ministering to people who have experienced a death in their family. And so that first All Souls Day for them is a day that they can remember their loved one in a very, very special way. So just to kind of, that's kind of the, the, the calendar or the liturgical calendar part of all of this. So I'd like to talk a little bit about saints, um, to begin to kind of talk about All Saints Day or All Hallows Day. So saints have always played a very important role in my life. Um, I remember from the earliest, earliest times that when, when I was studying for confirmation, when I was in preparation for confirmation as a seventh, seventh grader, um, how important it was to choose a saint's name. And when we were asked to actually come up with a name for the saint that we were going to choose, it was kind of a no-brainer for me. It was something that I was going to choose the name John. And the reason why I chose the name John for a couple things. First of all, my dad's name was John. And so I greatly admired my father. My father was a convert. He converted from being a Southern Baptist um, to being a Catholic in order to marry my mother. And so um, what he did is he actually um, converted. And, and so I admired my dad because he was the one that was kind of saying to us on a Sunday, you know, that we have to go to church, that we have to attend church this day. And so it's important um, to kind of remember him. Um, and my dad was also a very patient man, very quiet man, but he worked hard and he worked hard to provide for his family. And so in kind of an honor of him, it was something that I thought that I could do, that I would choose John as a confirmation name in honor of him. But the other main reason why I chose John, and, and this kind of goes a little bit more to the religious or the, the faith part of it, is that I was always intrigued by St. John the Apostle. St. John the Apostle was someone who you know, in the Gospels, it does say, you know, that is the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
and nowhere else does it say anything about any of the other disciples you know that 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 disciple is someone that he loved and not that he loved john more than he loved anyone else or more than he loved peter or more than he loved andrew or any of the other apostles Um, but it was something that that scripture really kind of hit me and it also saint john was also the only apostle um, that had the courage to go and sit at the foot of the cross as Jesus was being crucified. And so I remember that exchange that goes in the gospel passage where, you know, Jesus says to Mary, you know, woman, behold your son. And he goes and he says to John, woman, or man, behold your mother. You know, and so he was actually entrusting the care of Mary to St. John. And Mary has always been an important part of my life. Um, um, As far as devotion, as far as consecration, I've done a consecration to Mary um, just recently. And so it is very, Mary is very important to me and the care of her by St. John was also very important as well. So that's why St. John has always been an important saint when it comes to my life. Now in recent years, um, there have been three people that I greatly admire that have recently become canonized saints in the church. The first was Pope John the Twenty-Third, and I remember reading about Pope John the Twenty-Third. You know, not so much about Vatican, about the Second Vatican Council, but some of the things that he used to do as Pope, and and he was someone that was a very very humble man, someone that, you know wasn't so caught up in the importance of the Vatican and of the high church and all of those things. And I remember a story being told about him one time about how he would try to sneak out of the Vatican at various times to just kind of just go and be a priest and and be someone who is just like the normal everyday person that you might meet. And he would go and he would hear confessions of just everyday people. And I greatly admired that because it showed a humility, a a sense of humility, a sense of humbleness about him um, that a lot of people that are in positions of power or positions of prominence today don't really show. And so Pope John the 23rd, um, and then, you know, was somebody that was important to me. And then, you know, when I started reading the documents of the, of the Second Vatican Council and how it was finished up by Paul VI, you know, how important those documents were and how it did, it did breathe new life into the church at that particular time. And so Pope John the 23rd was somebody that was very important to me. And then my second, or my favorite saint, next to St. John probably, um, is St. John Paul II. Um, I had an opportunity, not just because you know of, of my Polish tradition, but also when I was in the seminary, um, I was elected my, the president of my senior class. Um, the year that Pope John, the, or Pope John the, Paul II came to Chicago. And so I was actually honored to meet him and actually to shake his hand and to to be with him when he was with all the seminarians that day. I was able to give the gift from our school to him. And so um, uh, St. John Paul II was somebody that has really played an important role in my life. Um, somebody that I followed, somebody that I was able to see at the beginning of his pontificate when he was a, a very young man and just recently elected pope and 
all those different types of things. And then I was able also to be with St. John Paul II at the end of his pontificate when I took a group of students um, in, in 2002 to Toronto to the World Youth Day and to kind of see how his life had kind of gone from, you know, this vibrant and rigorous man until, you know, this, this man who had aged and the man who had, you know, had, had survived an assassination and who had, you know, aged with disease and, and all the other things that happen to us as we age. And so it was, it was, it was very interesting to, to see him and to kind of be with him at the beginning of his pontificate and then at the end as well. So I really do think that Pope John Paul um, II was the, a, a great. I hope that one day he is recognized as a doctor of the church and, and so on. So he was somebody that was very important um, to me as well. And then the last person um, was Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Um, the work that she did with the poor and the and the people and the people that she ministered to um, was something that I greatly admired. And then as I um, got to learn more about her and got to read more about her, and and how she went through a dark night, you know, a dark night of the soul, so to speak, where, you know, faith was a struggle for her, and she continued to do the ministry that she did. Um, even in the in the midst of that, even in the midst of the, the the difficulty that she was facing in her own personal prayer life and her own personal faith life, and when we talk about faith journey, which is one of the missions of this podcast, you know, we talk about how we kind of go up and down sometimes in our faith journeys, and and it is sometimes very difficult, um, you know, for us, even people who are in ministry. Um, to take care of ourselves and to take care of our own faith journey that we're sometimes so busy taking care of other people, not only their physical needs, but their spiritual needs as well, that it becomes difficult for us to do that as well. So it is important, and, and, and I'm kind of intrigued by that as somebody that was as great and as humble and as, as service-oriented as she was, that she struggled with her faith. And so it kind of gives me hope that, you know, that when I struggle with my faith, which I do um, at times, you know, that, that it is something that I can kind of fall back on and kind of say, hey, you know, if Mother Teresa can struggle, so can I as well. So those are the four um, saints that have really canonized saints in the church that are really important to me. Um, but also when we talk about saints, and, and this kind of is going to lead into all souls a little bit, um, talks about how all souls and all saints are, are connected. And the reason why they're connected is because we have in the church, in the Catholic church, something called the communion of saints. And the communion of saints are people that have lived with us, that have been with us, that have gone before us, that are no longer with us here in this earthly life, but there are some, there are people that we can really look to and, and really look to as saintly. And the one person that I can truly, truly say in my, in my existence that has been saintly for me has been my great-grandmother, my Bushaviki. Um, my Bushaviki came to, came to the United States as a young girl, 13 years old. She was one of 13 children, um, so she was, you know, the 13th of, of that group. And so she was sent here to the United States with nothing, and she built a life. And if it wasn't for her, if it wasn't for her resilience and her 
her, you know, the work that she did and the things that she did in her life, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. And I remember spending so much time with her when I was younger. Um, she lived to be 103 years old. And I remember spending time with her. I remember spending time with her watching her cook and being out in her garden picking apples that she would then turn into applesauce and apple pie and all those different types of things. And the wonderful thing about her was that she could understand a lot of the things that were being said, but because of her Polish background, um, she really had never really learned how to speak English. But yet, we had this communication between us that we could sit and we can communicate. And, you know, even if it's just one or two words, if it was just one or two things, we could communicate as well. So um, she was a wonderful, wonderful person. And, and, you know, she was really the first death in my family that I experienced when I was 26 years old when she passed. Um, and, and I still miss her to this day. I still miss her to this day. She was a wonderful person. So she is part of this communion of saints. I, I look to her, you know, her humbleness and her work ethic and all of the things that she did um, that, that she was saintly in many ways. Now, you know, was she saintly in everything? No, absolutely not. None of us are. Um, but she was saintly in those things. And so she was able to be a role model for me, not only to how to live my life as a human, but also to live my life as a faithful person to Christ. And so that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm sure that I'm going to be um, sharing other information or other stories about my great-grandmother in um, other episodes of this podcast. So... This then moves into all souls, and all souls kind of answers or attempts the church's way of answering the question, I think, of what happens to us after we die. You know, it's an ex- ex- existential question. You know, what happens to us after we die? How do, what do we exist as after we die? And so the church does kind of have this sense of place, you know, this sense of place that, you know, that originated all the way from Plato actually, but it's an idea of, you know, we go to a place, you know, we, we live in a place, we live in the earth, we live in the form of the earth and the form of interacting with people and things like that. Well, what happens to us after we die? Well, the church has come up with this sense of place. And so it has these three places. It has heaven and it has purgatory and it has hell. And so we have heaven, you know, which is, in my estimation, the perfection of being with God, of being cleansed, of being with him forever. Um, We have purgatory where, you know, the church teaches about purgatory is that there's a place that we go to that we need to be cleansed, that we need to be in the best form possible in order to meet our maker, in order to meet God. And so our time in purgatory is spent being cleansed of all of the things in our in the course of our earthly life that we did wrong. Um, so, you know, our time in purgatory for all of us can be different. But also, to kind of, again, mention the fact that when we talk about purgatory and we talk about time, you know, God's time is not our time. And so we have to remember that even though, you know, we we might think, well, people spend years in purgatory or people spend many, many days in purgatory and so on. 
Well, when we talk about God, you know, maybe the time in purgatory is not as long because there are all these people that have been praying for the souls in purgatory. And it is also a time for when maybe God says, okay, you know, God's time is not our time and we have been cleansed of everything that we need. So that's the purgatory. And purgatory, I always say, you know, it's not the, the whole idea of, okay, well, there's this trap door underneath us, and all of a sudden, God's going to decide to pull that trap door, and we're going to go to the third place, hell. Um, but but that is not the case. You know, a lot of people have this idea that it's kind of like a an in-between place, but it is not. It is a place where we've already attained the joy of heaven, but we just have to be in the most perfect state when we get there. So when we meet God and when we're together with God, you know, we can truly, truly enjoy that perfection. And then there is the third place. There is the third place of hell. And the condemnation and the loneliness and all of the things that go along with whatever our version of hell is, um, is, is real. And I think people today in general have kind of dismiss the idea of hell that you know we talk about God's mercy and we talk about how God is always merciful and he's always going to forgive us all of our sins and yes that is true but we a lot of times in our life we spend a lot of our life turning away from God turning away from what God wants from us and that is something that we should not do we should not turn away from God we should not turn away from the love and the mercy of God and so we have to realize that when we do that, and especially when we do that when we're close to death, you know, that that is that that we're kind of playing with fire a little bit, so to speak. <laughs> um, you know, not to be ironic, but that is the case is that, you know, we're kind of playing with fire. We're kind of playing with the idea that if we do turn away from God, there is the possibility of hell for us. And, uh, you know, just like we can't conceive of the possibility of, of the perfection of heaven, I think, you know, the, 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 the torture and the condemnation that we face um, without having God in our life in, in the throes of hell is, is even worse. Um, so it's very even difficult to even kind of describe what hell would be like. Um, but I kind of think of it as, you know, if you think of the worst thing that can happen to you, and that worst thing happens to you over and over and over and over again for all eternity. That is really something that is, is really, really difficult to grasp and to, to put your head around sometimes. So aside from all of this then, you know, happiness comes, I think, from being close to God, whether we're in this world or we're in the next. That is where, as human beings, we can be truly happy. And so we need to have a good relationship with God. We need to have a relationship with God where we are close to him at every moment of the day. And we need to keep trying over and over and over again to cultivate that relationship. And we do that through prayer. We do that through loving other people. We do that through worship. We do that through, as Catholics, for coming to Mass. We do all those things to try to live what the point of these three days really is, is to live a saintly life, to live as saints, to live as saints every moment of our existence, every moment of our life. I tell the kids all the time, and I tell adults as well, that we are called to be saints. We are called to be saints. 
Now, does that mean that all of us are going to one day be canonized and recognized saints in the church? Probably not. But that does mean that if we try to live saintly values and saintly principles and saintly ways in our earthly life, that we too can be part of that communion of saints. And that is the important thing. And that's what we should try to find out for ourselves. And we should try to do and try to be saintly every day. So as we continue with this podcast, you know, over the next few few times, um, we'll try and discover just what we can do to have that happen. How can we be saints? How can we be saints in our everyday life? Um, so I'd like to thank you for, you know, being with me here today. And hopefully this kind of gave you some practical and maybe some inspirational ideas about these three days of all saints of all souls and and obviously of all hallows eve that we're celebrating today and so let us join so join us again um, for on the way with dj and the next episode will be coming out in about a week's time and so thanks again for being with me here today and may god continue to bless and to keep all of you in his loving care